So we're continuing this morning with the series that we've had through the summer of, out of the book of Psalms. Uh, today, we're going to look at Psalm 34. And I want to read from verses 4 through 7. So let's listen to what God has to say to us this morning. Psalm 34, verse 4. I sought the Lord, and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him, and He delivers them. It happens about about 82 times or so alone in the New Testament where somebody says something about their fear and, and the response is, is not to be afraid, to fear not. And that should tell us something. Uh, obviously, it tells us that there are a bunch of frightened people in the Bible. It also tells us that fear is a prime component of the human experience. It was true then, it's true today. Part of what it means to be human is to experience fear. So what are we afraid of? Some fears are are vague and imprecise. I remember a time... um, Months ago, when I was sitting with a, with an older gentleman, and, and this was just a, f- a few months before, before he passed away, and and he said to me, um, he said, sometimes, sometimes I feel afraid. And I said, well, what is it that you're afraid of? And he thought about that for a moment, and then he shook his head and he and he said, you know, I'm really not sure. Sometimes you know that you're afraid, but you don't know what it is that you're afraid of. Some of those fears are are vague and they're blurry. Other fears are chillingly specific. Fear of cancer. Fear of being unemployed. Fear of snakes or spiders. Fear of failing something or failing everything. Fear of the dark. Fear of being made fun of, or laughed at, or being bullied. Fear of growing old, being put into a nursing home, and having your life savings wiped out by medical bills. In some cases, fear can be a good thing. It releases energy, it galvanizes us into action, it stimulates us to take sensible, defensive measures when we see a crisis coming. An out-of-shape, middle-aged man is afraid that he's going to die of a heart attack. And his fear drives him to quit smoking, to begin eating less and eating healthier food, and start exercising regularly, even if it's just to take a 30-minute walk around the block with his wife in the evening. In some cases, fear can be a very useful emotion. But, but most of the time, most of our fears are not like that. They make us anxious, worried, edgy, 
defensive. They take the joy out of living. They, they rob us of peace of mind. They sap our strength figuratively and literally. The other day, uh, a very bright young woman from our church who's a good friend gave me a call and she gave me permission to say this and she called to tell me something very important about what she just discovered. She told me that she now knows for certain that women are smarter than men. And this came from a book that she was reading. And it, it describes how, how uh, doctors place wires and electrodes on, on the skulls of men and women uh, subjects and they, and they test then what areas of the brain um, grow very active um, during problem solving. Which areas are most engaged? So these researchers, they've learned that men and women really do think differently. Different parts of a male or a female brain are engaged in solving identical problems. And they also learned, to my friend's everlasting satisfaction, that the female brain was more active at rest than the male brain was while engaged. <laughs> one book. This is one book, folks. That's, that's one thing. So, so those times... Those times, wives, when you ask your husband what he's thinking about and his answer is nothing, it's true. But the finding that I thought that was the most interesting in all of this um, was, was when they made comments about, about the situations that took the most mental em- energy, uh, regardless, regardless of male or female. Um, the situations that were the most mentally taxing on anyone's brain. And those situations were ones of fear. Fear literally saps your mental strength. It depletes your mental and emotional reserves. Fear wears you down and makes you emotionally and mentally exhausted. And to compound the problem, fear creates what it fears. The golfer who focuses on, the, on, on his fear of missing a putt is more likely to miss the putt. Fear creates what it fears. The fear of making a bad impression on his fiancé's parents prevents a man from acting normally. So he makes a bad impression. A married woman fears that her husband will stop loving her, which sours the woman's outlook and attitude and causes her husband to grow weary of her and an emotional gap slowly grows between them. A young woman consents to sex with her boyfriend because she's afraid of losing his love and affection. And due to the resulting guilt and shame of being used, she loses his love and affection. Fear can create the very thing that it fears. How do you deal with your fears? If you're like most people, you try to hide your fears. We try to, we try to push them down into our subconscious, but what goes down must come back out sooner or later. 
sooner or later, those fears will rise to the surface in the form of anxiety or anger or depression or even physical sickness. And when it, when it comes to dealing with our fears, repression doesn't work. And neither does avoidance. I was thinking about, um, well, it was in the late 80s. And uh, I was finishing up seminary and I had a very good friend of mine who was, who was interning at an inner city, inner city church in the projects of Chicago. And I still remember the story about the time he was driving home through Cabrini Green late at night when his old beat up VW bug fell into a pothole. Now, you may think University Avenue needs some work, but that's nothing compared to those potholes of the projects. And when I say that his bug dropped into a pothole, I mean that it wasn't getting back out. So there he was, middle of the night, stranded in one of the roughest, most violent projects in America. He got out of the car and he saw this group of, of young men, gang colors proudly displayed, come walking toward him out of the darkness. What did he do? He considered running, but that just didn't seem like it would end well. But he wanted to be anywhere else at that moment. He wanted to avoid what he thought was going to be a bad experience. He kept thinking, why did I drive down that street? Why did I go to that church that night? Why did I come to Chicago? Why did I go to seminary? You know, all of these things were going through his head. He was afraid. He was so afraid. More afraid than he had ever been in his life. This group of young men walked up to him and his bottomed out beetle. And my friend didn't say a word. His fear had stolen his ability to speak. And one of the young men looked at him and he said, Need some help? My friend thought to himself, Yeah, I, I, I could use a lot of help right now. Maybe like in the form of the National Guard or something like that. Um, but the young man went on. He said, You're the new preacher, right? So we've seen you at the church. Want us to lift your car out of that hole? And they did. They all got around his little bug. They picked it up. They walked it out of the hole. Sat it back down on the road. And then they turned around and they walked away. The entire time, my friend just stood there. Didn't say a word. Didn't move a muscle. Because he was so afraid. People who try to avoid their fears spend their whole lives staying out of holes that may lead to some amazing experiences. My friend actually developed some pretty cool relationships with some of these young guys over his internship year. People who try to avoid their fears, withdraw into safe routines, risk-free lives, or inner worlds of fantasy. Repression doesn't work. Avoidance doesn't work. And then along comes the writer of Psalm 34 who says, I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Here's a fellow struggler who admits he has fears. 
But he says that his fears don't control him anymore. He's been delivered from their power. And how did that happen? Well, I want to suggest that there were three possibilities, three ways in which God can deliver us also from our fears. Three words for you. First one, perspective. Second one, promise. Third one, presence. So, number one, perspective. Sometimes God delivers us from our fears by giving us a sense of perspective, a new way of looking at what threatens us. Have you ever been out for a walk or a run or a bike ride and you come along some big menacing looking dog sitting in someone's front yard right next to the sidewalk, right next to the bike path? And it's a scary situation. Your blood pressure shoots up. Your adrenaline is released. Your, your anxiety levels increase. You, you feel threatened. You're afraid. But then, then you notice that the hound of Baskerville here is securely chained. Though threatening in appearance, he has no power to do you any harm. So now suddenly, you've got a new perspective on things. And your anxiety level decreases. You're relaxed again. You don't feel threatened. You're not afraid anymore. Oftentimes, God gives us a different perspective on our fears. And we come to see that what at first made us afraid... It's not so formidable after all. It's been my experience. Maybe yours is different. But, but I found that admitting my fears to myself is a healthy thing. Putting your fears into words. Dragging your darkest dread out into the sunlight and then examining it has a way of making it seem less fearful. Try it sometime. Ask yourself, what am I most afraid of? Say it out loud. Admit it. Then, suppose that your worst fear comes true. Picture yourself in that scenario. You might find yourself saying, as I often do, it's definitely not something I want to happen, and I hope it doesn't. But if it does, with God's help, I can handle it. Sometimes God gives us that sense of perspective and we discover that the dog is chained and what we are so afraid of is not as scary as we thought. Number two, promise. God delivers us from our fears with His promise. And here's where knowing your Bible is really helpful. Almost every fear not in the Bible is followed by some divine reassurance. Fear not. It says in the book of Isaiah, it's God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, Jesus says in the book of Matthew, for you are of more value than the sparrows. Fear not. The prophet tells the king in the Old Testament, the book of Second Chronicles, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Fear not, Jesus says to his friends, for the Lord 
is on your side. I believe that there are people here today in this room, right now, who can testify how a promise in the Scripture, in the Bible, has reduced their anxieties and calmed their fears. Am I right? I know it's true. And it can be true for all of us. I've had to wrestle with this myself over the last couple of months, uh, taking on a few more leadership responsibilities here. Um, There have been times where I've come to realize that I'm in a spot now where I'm helping to make decisions that are affecting a lot of people. And this is this is Jesus's church. And I take that seriously. So, to be perfectly honest, there's been times where I've been scared. I've been afraid. I lay awake at night. I think about all these things. And and I wonder to myself, am I doing the right thing? What if I do the wrong thing? What if I make a mistake here and and affect so many people in a, in a in a wrong way? And I've taken a lot of comfort in that promise in the book of James where it says, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask God and it will be given to him. And I don't know how many times I've repeated that to myself. You know, and it works. It works. Sometimes I have to push a lot of myself out of the way. But that promise has a calming effect because it's true. And it's freed me, I believe, to do what I feel God is telling us is right and best for our church and has given me more confidence and more certainty. I believe that God frees us from our fears with His promises. Number three, presence. I think what most frees us from our fears is simply God's presence in and around us. Think about it. A little child wakes up in the middle of the night crying from a bad dream. Seconds later, Mom or dad rushes into the room. What happened? What's wrong? The parent sits on the edge of the bed and speaks words of comfort and reassurance to the child. And gradually the child's fear melts away because his parent is there. That's what I need. When I'm afraid, I believe that's what you need too. We need our Father's presence. And that's what God promises us. Fear not, for I am with you always. When our nightmares become realities, and when we cry out in fear, God is always there. So, I want you to know, You have permission to speak to God about your fears. You do. God's not going to laugh at them. He's not going to belittle them. He's not going to think any less of you because of them. He won't tell you that your fears aren't real, that they don't matter, 
or that they're ridiculous. God will do none of those things. Instead, He will sit quietly with you and listen. And I suspect that He'll have some things that He'll want to tell you too. If you're able to hear Him. And maybe... Maybe you're going to have to search a little bit for those words. Pick up the Bible and open it. Um, come to church on a Sunday morning and listen. Read the daily scriptures that are sent out every morning. Pay attention to some of, some of your good Christian friends who might have something to say and share with you. I believe, I believe if we're able to listen, that He'll give us a sense of perspective that he'll remind us that he's in control. He'll want to share some of his amazing promises with you. Like the one about him being with you always. Which is the final thing that I think God wants you to know. He's on your side. He gets whatever it is you're feeling and he's there for and with you. And when you understand that and experience it, then I think you're able to say, I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Let's pray. Jesus, I think about, about the example that you have been for us in how to live. I think about those last days and those last hours that you spent on earth and how you must have been tempted to be afraid. But you showed us how it is to live with confidence and belief that our Father is with us. And you prayed for that, for all of us, that we would know that truth, that we would live in that truth, not just by ourselves, but together, and that we would find joy in it, that no matter what comes, no matter what comes, that we can live with confidence that you are our God, that you desire good for us, that your love is stronger than any, anything that we can face. And that we can be examples of you in this world. And all of this is true, Jesus, only because of what you have done for us. That you broke down that wall of death. That you took the judgment on yourself. That not only did you rescue us from our fears, but you saved us from our sins. And because of that, we are, we can be your children. So I pray as we are, as we examine our hearts, as we think about our lives, as we think about who we are, how fear may grip us at times or not, we also may examine the place that you have in our lives as well. May we look to you, Jesus, for strength. May we look to you as example of how to live today, forever. God, 
thank you for being with us. Thank you for that promise. May that promise give us perspective. May we always know that you are with us. And we pray this in the powerful and the present name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. All God's people said, Amen.